for that. We're going to look to the word of the Lord tonight. I'm going to be reading a few verses of scripture from the gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. And I want to speak to you on the subject, the greatest among us. The greatest among us. And that particular debate, if you want to call it that, was kind of raging in this uh, particular uh, passage of scripture. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man, everybody say, that's Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you uh, on that subject, the greatest among us. Jesus is dealing with the subject of authority, and he's dealing with the subject of greatness, uh, and he's dealing with the subject of servanthood. And this is what I want to talk to us a little bit about tonight, uh, because he made careful uh, note to distinguish between the way the Gentiles do it, which is Everybody except the people of God. That's who the Gentiles are. And then there's a way that the people of God do it. And he is explaining to us and to them in that day that the Gentiles, when they have a position of leadership or authority, you better know it and they're going to exercise that leadership. They're going to exercise that authority. In fact, he didn't even call it leadership. He called it lordship. They want to exercise lordship. How many know there's only one Lord? And his name is Jesus. And so when we talk about lordship or leadership, which is, of course, connected to those words are connected. uh, When you talk about that, you have to look at the one Lord, the only Lord for an understanding of what that looks like. And he is explaining to them in this passage of Scripture that we are not like everybody else. We just aren't. We don't live like everybody else. We don't act like everybody else. We don't talk or think or dress or conduct ourselves like everybody else. We are a different people. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. And that peculiar is a very positive thing. When we say something is peculiar, we might have a little negative connotation associated with that statement. But not when it comes to God calling his people peculiar. When God refers to us as peculiar, it is a very positive thing. In, 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 even to the point that he said, we don't sorrow the way everybody else sorrows. For we do not sorrow after the world or like the world in that they have no hope. But we sorrow after a godly manner. And, and we have hope beyond this life. So everything that we do is different than the world system. And, and we have to be mindful of that. We can't just default to a world system because we see that, 
we've come, become conditioned to that. That's our paradigm. That's our mentality. That's what we know. We can't just default to the way the world operates. We have to look to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God stipulate as to how I am to act, how I am to think, how I am to treat others, how I am to live? And this is one of those cases in point where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, when the Gentiles exercise lordship, they do it with a heavy hand. They do it with this, this exacting of authority. And, and with that comes all that is involved with human insecurity. But the authority that we have and that we operate with is an authority that is not connected to human insecurity because it really has nothing to do with us. The greatest way for us to exercise authority is to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God, surrender to his will. And, and so the, the key word in that word authority is author. That's, that's the word, author. And, and there's only one author. And he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is who has authority, not us. So when we begin to operate in an authority that does not come from him and is not found in him, then we're going to get off base. We're going to feel the insecurity of being off base. We're going to default to an old world way of doing it. And we're going to end up being like the Gentiles. So Jesus said, I want you not to do that. I want you to just resist that. Don't be like the Gentiles. He explained in the Sermon on the Mount that his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. He explained that. He said, my kingdom is different. He said, um, you, if somebody smites you on the face, what are you going to do? You're going to hit them back. He said, but not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, you're going to turn the other cheek. He said, in, in most kingdom, if somebody takes your coat, you're going to chase them down. And they're going to wish they had never messed with you that day. He said, but not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, somebody takes your coat, you give them your cloak also. He said, in, 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 in most people's kingdom, if somebody says, walk a mile, you, you, kind, of, uh, you kind of walk three-fourths of a mile and, and, uh, and pretend you walked a mile. Or you just say, forget you, I'm not walking the mile. He said, but in my kingdom, it's different. We walk the mile and another mile that they didn't ask us to walk or demand us to walk. We are a different kind of people. We are kind, we are tender-hearted, we are forgiving, we bear one another's burdens. When we see a situation undone, we don't snarl and say, well, that's not my problem. No, we bear one another's burdens. And, and we so, in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. So he said, you, you, you have a paradigm, and I want to come in, I want to bust that paradigm. I want to shake your mentality up. He said, you have heard that you should forgive someone seven times a day. But I'm getting ready to just smack that paradigm all around the living room. And then you have to turn the other cheek, and I'll smite it again. Because I'm going to tell you that you're not just a... Forgive seven times a day. You're to forgive 70 times seven times a day. And that's for one offense. Okay, so, so that's, just, that's just one. If somebody comes up and commits an offense 
against you, you, and they repent of it, you must forgive them 70 times 7 a day for that offense. Now, if they commit a different offense, then for that offense, it's another 70 times 7 a day for that offense. So we're not talking about different offenses. We're talking, ladies and gentlemen, about infinite forgiveness. We're a different breed. We're a different kind of people. We're, we're a different kind of people. And, and you say, well, that's just, I, there's no way that can possibly work. Well, it does work, and I'll tell you how it works, because when people encounter the truth of that kind of a power, it changes them. That's what happens. So it's not that they smite you on the face and then they smite you again and then they leave unfazed. It's that they never encounter a temperance like you have. It's not cowardice. It's not weakness. It's not inability to respond. It is the, it is the greatest power in all the world. It's the love of God. And it changes them. Case in point. Case in point. Let me give you just a quick example. You're here because God has forgiven you. That's why you're here. God won you because he's so good. And that's how the impact is made upon people. It, they come in contact with the raw goodness of God. And that is different than any other thing they will find in any other place. And so it's that way when it comes to this matter. And the debate that was taking place was a, a conversation between James and John. And there was, a, there was a, a question about James sitting on the left hand and John sitting on the right hand of Jesus when they came into their kingdom. And there was a vying for position. And it caused others to resent uh, James and John because of the of the vying for position that had occurred. And so Jesus responded to that and said, in this kingdom, we don't vie for position. The Lord exalts. We don't get political in this kingdom. We don't, we don't try to step on somebody else. We don't try to push somebody out of the way. We don't demand recognition. We, we are servants. And he explained, he said, if you understood how it is in my kingdom, the greatest, the chiefest among you are the servants. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be a minister to everybody that you meet. And when we say, when we say minister, wait, listen, I'm a minister. And I need, to, I need to tell you, sometimes when we use the word minister, we, we, we put that in some kind of a, a title with some kind of a, a, a glamour associated with it. And Jesus is saying... Minister means that you're a servant to everybody. That's what minister means. We don't, get our, we don't get our definitions from Webster's. We get it from Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that the minister is a servant to everybody. And each and every one of us are to be ministering in the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us are to be serving one another. And so, so when we look to the word of the Lord... We understand that the chiefest among you is the servant of all. And we know this because when the Lord came to the earth, the Bible says that he took upon him the form of a servant. He did not take upon him the form of a potentate. He did not take upon him the form of a, of a magistrate. 
He didn't take upon him the form of a billionaire. He didn't take upon him the form of any kind of, of status symbol as far as the world is concerned. But he did take upon him the greatest status he could have, have ever taken because he took upon himself the form of a servant. And you got to understand the way it works in the world versus heaven. What is last here is first there. And what is first there is last here. And you'd better live for that world, not this world. Because this world is fleeting. And it will be over before you know it. And you will live for eternity somewhere. And it will either be in total torment or it will be in eternal joy. And I've made my decision to live for the Lord all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Now, the way we think about, the way we think about uh, Jesus being a servant. How many know Jesus was a servant? Jesus was a servant. He was a servant to all that he met. Everybody that he met, he was a servant to them. He ministered to them. He was meek. He was lowly. The Bible says there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus was Jesus was as meek as you could get, as lowly, as humble as you could get, as submitted to others in their need as you could become. And, and yet Jesus was the greatest of all. He was greater than Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He was greater than Jonah. Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And the people struggled with it because he didn't quite meet the idea they had in their mind of what this great king that was coming was going to look like. He came riding on a donkey, not a stallion. He didn't have a battalion. He came in and, and he laid down his own life. And in so doing, he undid curses. In so doing, he unlocked prison doors. In so doing, he set the captive free he came to serve all, to not be ministered unto. The angels did minister to him. But his purpose for coming was not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give himself a ransom for many. Hallelujah. So we look at the life of Jesus and we're in awe. And we say little things like, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because we want to do like Jesus did. We want to be like Jesus was. We want to treat people the way Jesus treated people. We want to be kind. We want to be humble. We want to serve. We want to be loving. We want to, we want to be strong in our, our constitution and character. And, and, and yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, we kind of look at those three and a half years where it is recorded how he so ably served all that he met. And, and we really kind of lock it into those three and a half years and say, yeah, he showed us what a servant looks like. He, listen, we may not say it this way, but essentially we're saying he put on a pretty good show. But in fact, he didn't put on a show. All he was was being himself. All he was was being God, manifest in flesh. If God were a man, that's what he would be. This wasn't God becoming something different than what God is. So that we could look upon him and, and be influenced to do nice things. No, he was manifest. Which means he was revealed. 
So the invisible God is revealed finally. The fire that fell in the holy place, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, every, every, uh, uh, every expression of his glory is now revealed and you're able to see God with arms and legs. You're able to see God with, with uh, appetite. You're able to see God with, with priorities. You're able to see God with decision-making capacity and in real-world experiences. And, and, and that, that thing I'm describing is, is Jesus. It's not God pretending to be somebody else. It's God being God. And when God is just being God, he's kind and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's full of tender mercies and he's serving and he's helping and he's healing and he's putting himself out there and he's doing stuff he doesn't have to do, but he does it because he loves. I'm telling you, that's, when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the age-old question being answered, what if God were a man? And so God became a man. And he didn't spend three and a half years being something that we should be, but he isn't. No, he spent three and a half years just being himself. And, and, and himself was loving, leading, guiding, being gracious, being forgiving, laying down his life so that others can live. And so he explained to his disciples, you guys are fighting over the wrong thing. He was saying, if you really wanted to be on my left hand or my right hand, you wouldn't be doing it like this. You wouldn't be fighting over it. You'd be humbled down in a prayer room somewhere. You'd be out ministering to somebody who's in need. You'd be saying, what, what, what is there that I can do to be of service to the kingdom of God? And when I say to the kingdom of God, I mean to the people of God. Don't ever forget that. It's people. It's people. That's who God cares about. God cares about people. I, I want to explain to you, ladies and gentlemen, the moment that we stop being concerned about the people, then, then there, is a, there is an alienation we have from God. This is a beautiful building. And I love to just come by and look at it sometimes. I love to just come by and just watch it come into, into focus and watch all of the materials be put in place. But I'm going to tell you something. That building is worth nothing if it's not about people. If it's not about souls, if it's not about those individuals who are made in the image of God, who are going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, and, and we have to understand that everything that we do must be and is about people being saved. Everything that we do is about that. And, and whether, whether it's vacuuming the floor, it's about people. If, if it's washing the windows, it's about people if it's passing out tracks it's about people if it's teaching a wednesday night bible study to the congregation it's about people if it's about making sure the lights are on when people walk in it's about people if it's about ministering to the children that you don't see in here but are here 
They're here. And they need people to minister to them. There's so much more happening than what happens in this sphere, this sanctuary. And it's all about people. And it's all about serving the Lord. So when Jesus lived on earth, he was a servant. But when he died and was buried and was raised from the dead and showed himself alive by many infallible proofs and then ascended on high, he didn't stop being a servant. You know why God took upon himself the form of a servant? Because he's a servant. God is a servant. Oh, I thought he was a king. Oh, he is a king. But it's his kingdom. It's not the kingdoms you're used to. It's the kind of kingdom that where the first, we're, we're used to what we call the first. Well, in his kingdom, that first is last. In his kingdom, what we would consider to be last is actually first. So, so God is the one that is running around ministering, 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 ministering. How many, how many felt the presence of God today in, in the middle of your day? You, felt the, you just felt the presence of the Lord sweep over you and give you a special word. He did that for me too. He did that for me too. Gave me peace when I needed it. Spoke a word of comfort when I needed it. God was busy today. God was taking care of business today. Hallelujah. God never stopped being a servant. And I like to illustrate it by, 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 in this way. If you don't think God is still a servant, then just call on him. Call on his name. Jesus. 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 I'm going to tell you what, when I call on him, he shows up. When I whisper his name, he arrives out of no, seemingly nowhere. I, 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 he'll come riding upon the wings of the wind to your aid. And when he arrives, you've heard him, you've, you've been there. He'll say, how can I help you? What do you need? What would you have me do for you? That's what he said to the, to the lame man at the pool at, Beth, at Bethesda. He said, what wilt thou? And the man said, Lord, I've been lame all my life. He said, do you believe that you can be healed? Do you believe that today's your day to be healed? But he asked him the question, what wilt thou that I would do for you? He's a servant to all. There is no position in the kingdom of God that does not involve, not only involve, but is not consumed by servanthood. It is not, it, it, every position in the kingdom of God is consumed by servanthood. The moment that we are too good to be a servant, then we have completely missed the point and we better repent before God. The moment that we feel like, like we, we belong in some kind of a, of a special category and, and we don't need to humble ourselves, then, then we have to understand that we've gotten off base. There's an example in the book of Acts chapter 6 where there was a need for clarity concerning various 
types of servanthood. Because the Greeks were concerned that their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. So the widows are, are needed. They need to receive ministry. That word ministration, it has to do with ministry. And so there's a lot of ministry happening. In Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 souls added to the church. And then they were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The Holy Ghost was spreading like wildfire. The church was growing. People were getting saved. People were coming in. There was a Holy Ghost in time apostolic revival. It was awesome. It was powerful. You get to Acts chapter 6, and there's a lot of stuff falling through the cracks. A lot of needs are, are falling through the cracks because there has not been clarity provided for various roles of ministry. And, and those 12 apostles were in the middle of trying to do everything that the church needed. And they said, this is not good. It can't fall to a certain handful of people. Yeah. It has to be evenly distributed throughout the church for ministry to be effective and for ministry to be done. And so they appointed unto them seven men who were full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom, full of power, full of faith. And these men began to orchestrate and administrate and order and organize the church. The same thing happened in the book of Exodus. When Jethro, the father-in-law to Moses, came upon the scene and he's watching Moses. And Moses is every single day dealing with every single issue that arises. And Moses is... The candle is burning at both ends and in the middle. He's, the, he's become the burning bush. And Jethro looks at him and says, this isn't going to work. You're going to die doing this. You've got to set up captains over tens and fifties and hundreds. And you've got to organize and administrate and order this thing. Because everybody has to be involved in serving. We've got, we've got hundreds of thousands of people to shepherd through a wilderness into a land of promise. And in order to do that, everybody's got to be serving. We've got people in the New Testament church, those apostolic people. There are thousands coming in every single day more are being added to the church and just four chapters in to that great history of the Acts of the Apostles they're already finding it unwieldy and unmanageable because not everybody is serving and I'm going to tell you ladies and gentlemen you will find no greater nobility in the church than serving than laying down your life for people, for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. You'll find no greater role than just putting your hand to the plow and never looking back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, six days thou shalt labor. And on the seventh day, you're going to take your rest. Now, now in our church culture, many times what we do is we take six days off from working for the Lord. And man, but man, come Sunday, put my shouting shoes on, get my Bible, still bookmarked to what pastor preached the Sunday prior. And, and I'm ready for my one day of labor for the Lord. And, and what we call labor many times is us, us just coming in and eating a big meal at God's table 
and walking away and trying to overcome our anxieties for the rest of the next week. And we, we feel like that's working for the Lord. And that's not how the work of God operates. You know, come on in on that, on that first day of the week, that Sunday. Come on in and eat up and, and, and minister to those who have come in to receive for themselves. Because you're going to meet people that come into that place on Sunday who are in dire need and in desperate need. Hallelujah. And, 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 and it's not about that, that one day, but all through the week, we need to be sowing so much seed through this city. Hallelujah. Do you know I just stopped into a place of business on the way here. I couldn't get there earlier today. And on the way to church, I stopped in. And when I walked in, the, the gentleman that was assisting me said, are you a preacher? I said, I am. He said, are you a Pentecostal preacher? I said, I am. He said, I knew it. I could hear the anointing. This raspy voice comes in handy sometime, apparently. He said, I could hear the anointing. And he said, I could feel that anointing. And I realized that's why I couldn't get there all day long. I was supposed to get there right when I got there to meet that man. I said, I said, we're at Cooper Road, but for the next several months, we're going to be at 7630 View Place, and you need to come and be a part of what God is doing. Hallelujah. Join us. And he said, I haven't been going to church. He said, I was raised apostolic Pentecostal. He said, but I haven't been going to church in a long time. Amen. It was a divine appointment. Hallelujah. It was a divine appointment. Sister Candy Hyden told me this past Sunday she was at a store in the city of Cincinnati and she had received a gift from her, from her uh, family and she went in to have something adjusted to the gift and the person behind the counter, she witnessed to the person behind the counter about the crusade and said, you need to come to the Grace Point Church Campus, 7630 View Place, Finneytown, and we're going to have a crusade. And that was all she said, and then went on her way. The lady came to the crusade, was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, was here this past Sunday. Listen, we have not because we ask not. We've got work to do. We've got people to reach. We've got souls to save. We've got prayers to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And let me just tell you this. Do not, in our quest to win the lost souls of this city, do not, do not overlook the souls that sit in this church every week. But because their age is small, we don't consider them to be vital members of this body. I'm going to tell you, life is fleeting. And, and those little four and five year olds that you see today in just 20 years. And if you've lived a little while, you know how fast that is. In just 20 years, they're going to be in the throes of their life. And they're going to need a foundation in their heart. And they're going to need the power of God to lead them and guide them. 
And right now, let me tell you something, the devil has him in their cross, in his crosshairs every single day. He's animated stuff for their perusal. He's got them so targeted, everything, every principality of this world has focused its ire on the children of this generation. God forbid that the church overlook them. What are we thinking if we overlook them? We've missed the point if we overlook them. We've missed the point. We've missed the point if we overlook them. Hallelujah. Yeah, Bible quizzing matters. Of course Bible quizzing matters. Putting the word of God in their heart. Of course children's church matters. It matters, ladies and gentlemen. I was a Bible quizzer for seven years, and some of the messages you hear preached are messages of scriptures I learned as a child, not as a preacher, adult preacher. Not as a 43-year-old man, but as a 10-year-old child. Hallelujah. 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 We've got to have a mentality that says there's no job that's too small. We've got to have a mentality that says if it's needed, I'm there. Hallelujah. And I'm preaching to myself, ladies and gentlemen. I want to do what I do. Hallelujah. And I want to die doing it. I want to lay my life down doing the work and the will of God. And you say, yeah, but my family is important. That's exactly right. And that's why they need to be with you in this journey. That's exactly right. And that's why you need to be taking time to minister to them. The work of God does not distract from family. It doesn't have to. Uh, My sister and I grew up in a home where our parents were fully and 100% engaged in the work of God. And we loved every minute of it. Never, ever felt cheated by it. I remember one time when I was a, I was a six-year-old kid. And my father came. Um, he was preaching a revival about four hours away. And he had been traveling and preaching. And I was six, seven years old. And I, I, uh, I had been missing him. But I didn't really know how much I missed him until I came running in the house from playing outside. And mom was on the phone with dad. And she said, hey, Joel, dad wants to talk to you. And I come running over to the phone. I said, hey, dad. And he said, hey, buddy. And when I heard his voice, it hit me. I wanted to see him. I wanted him to come home. I was tired of him not being home. He was out preaching as an evangelist at that time. And I started crying. He said, man, what's wrong? I said, I miss you. I want you to come home. He said, well, I'm coming home. I'm preaching this revival. I said, but I want you to come home now. (laughs) He said, well, buddy, I'm going to get home as soon as I can. And I said, okay, I love you. And I gave the phone back to mom. And then I went running off playing again, forgot all about it, and was perfectly fine. (laughs) Made my dad feel terrible, but I was perfectly fine. (laughs) And... I woke up that next morning and he was home. He had to go back to the revival. He did have to go back to the revival. But something about him making the effort to get to me, I'll never forget it. It was a landmark moment in my life. I was six or seven years old and it 
he showed up and I knew the sacrifice that had to have involved and he was willing to do that for me. And there are things you can do and they are called sacrifices. And, and you, and you, 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 you can't do this thing called living for God without sacrifice. I mean, good luck trying, but you're not going to get to. And, 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 and so my father sacrificed his own sleep, his own comfort, his own convenience to get back to me so that I knew that his involvement with ministry did not mean he didn't love me. It meant that the ministry was so important that even though he loved me, he had to be engaged. And I never forgot, and I never begrudged how many times have we had Christmas Eve. I mean, Christmas Eve, there was always going to be a few phone calls right before Christmas Eve dinner. That was just the bottom line. Where there's, there's just going to be those situations that come up, and you've got to minister, 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 minister. And we never felt put out. We never felt cheated. We never felt deprived because it's a joy to do the work of God. He loves a cheerful giver. You do it because it's the work of God. It's the will of God. You love God. You love his people. Hallelujah. His people, his people are not a burden. His people are not a problem. Don't complain about the people of God. They're good. They're good good they're good his people are good love them he said to peter peter do you love me oh lord you know that i love you peter do you love me lord you know that i love you peter do you love me lord you know i i mean I, you gotta know that i love you then feed my sheep because if you want to express the love of god do things for his people and that's how you'll know and how he will be able to even document that you love him because of how you feed his people. Hallelujah. 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 We had, we, in March of 2020, I'll never forget it. March of 2020, we had, uh, um, I, I remember Brother Sizemore texted Brother Ellison, myself, said, hey, you guys thinking about Sunday and they got this coronavirus thing that's going around. People talking about maybe not having service in March. And I thought, well, maybe we could take off a service. Not a Sunday morning, but maybe a service. And, <laughs> and that changed. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but that changed. And um, I... I uh, I realized when the NBA canceled their season and the NCAA canceled their season that things were getting serious. And so I guess we had to take a couple Sundays off. It turned into two and a half months of no in-person church service. And then a year of multiple services. And then when we got back from our multiple services we found out we had to be off of our campus for another eight months. And look what the Lord has done. Yeah. Hallelujah. And, and, so, and so now we have, now we have, been so blessed to receive and to and to join with our beloved precious Grace Point family and we're working together to reach this city and we thank God for it and we thank God for brother and sister Sizemore 
and all that God is doing. We're a blessed people. We're blessed people. What the devil meant for evil, God has turned it for the good. But that's a, lot of, that's a lot of moving and that's a lot of shifting and that's a lot of scheduling and rescheduling and canceling and postponing and changing times. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of here and there and trying to figure things out. But, but here's my message to us tonight. We have arrived at a more settled moment, especially as we come through summer, and we've got to put all of our hands to the plow and do the work of the Lord because God has God has been here for us through this whole process, and he's provided for us a brand new beautiful building. We're going to fill it up to the glory of God with the people he came to save. I believe we're going to fill up campuses all across this city with people in need of salvation, being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen with us just coasting in and coasting out. We've got to put our work boots on. We've got to put our gloves on. We've got to look around and say, what's needed? Where is their help needed? Where are their volunteers needed? I will be there to help in the work of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We need help in areas of maintenance. We need help in children's ministry. We need, we need volunteers. We're in constant need of volunteers. Hallelujah. We have Bible studies to teach. Many Bible studies to teach. 48 people just received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We can't leave them on the doorstep. We've got Bible studies to teach. People to reach. Work to do. And now listen. I know, that, I know that sometimes living for God, half the struggle is just to keep, keep yourself saved. Well, you just got to do that. Just got to do that. You got, listen, this, uh, this isn't harsh, but it's some of the best advice you'll ever receive. You got to get over stuff. You got to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time. You've got to learn how to face anxiety and fear and still do the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. My goodness, if we're waiting for all of us to get every issue under control, then this whole building would be empty right now. And there'd be nobody standing in this pulpit. Because we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But you better know in part and you better prophesy in part. We've got to do what we can do right now. I, I don't have to have everything figured out. I don't have to have all of my issues resolved. i just got to put my shoulder to the plow and work for God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll never forget, I came to the Ohio district before I pastored in Cincinnati. I came to preach the Ohio Midwinter Retreat. We were in Indiana at the time. And we came over to preach the Ohio Midwinter Retreat on a Friday night. And I was excited to get in there and preach. Man, I had a barn burner message. I was going to be preaching on the oneness of God. And I, I knew, I already had it all mapped out, Brother Reuben, exactly what was going to happen. We were going to have a Holy Ghost time. We were going to swing from the chandeliers, kick over chairs, knock over the pulpit, pick it back up, knock it over again. We were going to have church. We were going to have church. And it didn't happen like that. I, uh, 
there is a, there's a preaching, um, there's a preaching um, term that, that it, it says you drop the watermelon. And what that means is that you made such a mess of the message that you might as well just picked up a watermelon, threw it on the ground, and splattered it everywhere. I dropped a watermelon that night. And I was so discouraged. I went away saying, Lord, I don't know if I need to keep preaching. That was so embarrassing. I, I was the, it was the oneness of God. That's supposed to really be favored and anointed and blessed. And it wasn't. It just, I, I, I felt like I struggled the whole night. It was, people were falling asleep. People were walking out. I, I was just, man, I, I thought these poor folks, they should have somebody else do this. And, and so that was that. You know, we, the next day we had church again. God blessed us and, and we got out of town. I thought, I hope nobody remembers that night. Ten years later, I show up at Ohio State University for a, 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 a campus ministry panel discussion that the United Pentecostal Church and the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World were joining together to put, to put on, and I was one of the guest panelists. And so I show up, and the young man that was, that was hosting me greeted me, and, um, and he said, uh, I've, I've wanted to meet you for a little while. He said, do you remember coming to Ohio and preaching the Ohio Midwinter Retreat? I started twitching. I said, I remember. I hope you don't remember, but I definitely remember. He said, oh, I was there. And I said, well, I'm very sorry that you had to endure that. He said, it was my first time in a Pentecostal service. And he said, I was an atheist when I walked in. But he said, you preached on the oneness of God. And he said, I repented that night. And then God later would fill me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in Jesus' name. He's a minister today. And I felt the Lord just, the Lord just kind of slip up beside me and say, you know what? Is it okay if I get your ego? And people don't just cheer and stomp and push over chairs and 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 is it okay with you if i just absolutely make all the noise go away for just 40 minutes long enough for he so he can hear the truth of my word <sighs> you don't have you don't have to you don't have to f meet all of your specifications all of your expectations for yourself to do a work for God all you got to do is be a willing vessel be a servant of the Lord be a servant of the Lord there is no higher calling than to be a servant of the Lord you know what the Bible says even about the sons of God the Bible says that the son differeth nothing from a servant Though he be Lord of all. So, so in other words, the son does the same work that a servant does. The servant gets a wage. The son gets the inheritance. They're working for different things. The servant is going to walk away with a paycheck. Whereas the son owns it all already. And, and, and the, the apostle was saying, you're no longer servants. You are sons. But sons are no different than servants. 
Yeah, you, you own it. You, you own it. God has given to you so much. You've inherited so much. But you don't ever get above vacuuming the floors, cleaning the toilets, teaching whatever, preaching whatever. It, whatever God says to do, that's what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. We're not the Lord. He is the Lord. We're not the king. He is the king. And even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life as a ransom for many. What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to give your life to the work of God. It's the reason they put the tabernacle in the middle of the encampment. So that everybody's life revolved around the glory of the Lord. Oh, it's a blessing. I love you and I love to, I love to see you come into the house of God. And we're able to come in and celebrate. And all week long, we've been working, 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 reaching, reaching, reaching. And when we come into this place to worship God together, we are inviting others to come into this holy assembly and we're here to minister to them as they come in to this place. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. There is no church without the servants of the Lord. There is no church without people saying, I'll do whatever you say to do, Lord. There is no church. There is no prayer line. There are no altars. There is no worship experience. There is no preaching and teaching. There is no seat to sit on. There's, there's nothing without the servants of the Lord having a willing heart and a submitted spirit, a ready mind to do the work of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel your presence, Lord. I feel the call, the beckoning of your spirit. There are times where God calls us to do things and we don't understand it, but we can be obedient to it. We've had people say, God told me to dedicate the next three years to this particular ministry because they're a servant and they're doing the work of the Lord. Praise God. Could you lift your hands with me and give him praise right now? You want to know who the greatest among us is? The greatest among us is the Lord, and he is the servant of all. Hallelujah. The chiefest among you are the servants. Hallelujah. 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 You can stand with me right now. The musicians can come. I want to share with you one more scriptural observation. The queen of Sheba came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She was the queen of the south. She brought a caravan of goods to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then famously when she got there, the Bible says she was not prepared for what she saw. Her breath was taken. There was no, there was no spirit left in her, the Bible says. Which, which is the Bible way of saying it took her breath away. And she looked at Solomon and said, I heard of your wisdom. But she said, the half was not told me. And this was the half that wasn't told her. She said, happy are your servants. That's what people didn't tell me. And it's the truth. There's one half of this that must be told. There's another half of this that can't be told. It can only be 
experienced. We've got to tell the one half, and that's going to bring people from the uttermost parts of the earth. But when they get here, they're going to experience a whole other half. And here's the experience that they're going to have. It's going to be the happiness of his servants. Oh, I wish the Lord would show you. Lord, open our eyes like you opened the servant's eyes to the prophet Elisha. I know they're five years old right now, and I know you feel like it's repetitive, and I know you feel like it's, it's challenging and can even be inconvenient, and it's a sacrifice, and you'd rather be in here. I know that. But I wish you could see them 20 years from now. And you know, even now, not even 20 years from now, even what you're doing in their life right now is so vital, so important. But I, I remember standing at the Indiana Children's Ministry Convention. I had just become the pastor here in Cincinnati, and I was preaching the Indiana Children's Ministry Convention. And I remember standing up there to preach, and I took that pulpit, and when I took that pulpit, I saw my Sunday school teacher sitting out in the audience. I said, here, this is my message right here. This is it. Thank you. Because of you. I mean, I'm standing here because of you. Thank you for, for every Sunday that it was hard to get to church. Thank you for every, every lesson that you put together, that you prayed over, that you, for every flannel graph, for every decoration, for every time you wish that you'd have been doing something different. Thank you for your commitment, for your dedication. We should have so many volunteers in children's ministry that, that people only have to do it once a month. And they can spend other Sundays in the sanctuary. Yeah. And I know your heart is there. I'm preaching to the choir and to the children's ministry and to the, the volunteers and to the servants of the Lord. But I want to tell you, we have to prepare ourselves. For 10 years, we've been, we've been raising money. We've been buying buildings. We've been selling properties. We've been buying properties. We've been acquiring this and buying that and selling this and raising that. And it's been 10 long years. And when we arrive into that building, this is what the Lord has told me. He said, I don't want you to look at that building as the conclusion of anything. It may feel like a conclusion because it's a, it's a nice, pretty cap on a 10-year process. But it's not the conclusion of anything. It's the beginning of something so beautiful and something so wonderful and something so glorious. So to whomever this applies, awake out of sleep. To whomever this applies... Stir yourself. Hallelujah. Shake yourself and get ready. Because the souls are, are ready to be reached. The harvest is white already unto harvest. Say not four months. Don't say this is June and we might be in there by October. Say not four months. And then the harvest. Right now. This Sunday. Hallelujah. Right now. Hallelujah. Right now, it's time to get ready for the work of the Lord, folks. We're going to be providing greater clarity and greater direction and greater instruction as to how we're proceeding. 
But I want you to know, get ready. How many are ready? Come on, lift up your hands and say, Lord, <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. I'm My God, I just want to go run through a troop and leap over a wall right now. I just want to go teach a Bible study right now. I just, want to, I just want to do the work of God. I just want to pray somebody through at an old-fashioned altar. I just want to sit down with a Bible and teach children and teach young people. Thank God for our volunteers who are at youth camp right now, tonight. They're at youth camp ministering to junior high children. God bless them. God bless them. Lord, pour out the power of the Holy Ghost. God, call them to ministry. Call them to the mission field. Call them to be prayer warriors. Anoint them for your service. My God. My God, my God, my God, my God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of those children that you're teaching in that children's ministry class, they are, they are going to be teaching the very class you're teaching just 20 years from now. Hallelujah. My God, my God, I feel your presence, Lord. I feel your presence, Lord. Come on, I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray right now and say, Lord, I'm laying it all down. Lord, I'm laying down my life for your work. I'm laying down my life for your work. I'm laying down my life for your work. I'm laying down my conveniences for your work. I'm laying down my comforts. Hallelujah. I don't hesitate to say that because this is how it works. You lay it down and God gives you something better than you laid down. So I don't hesitate to say, I lay it all down. Hallelujah. You can't outgive God. You lay it down and he'll give you something greater than what you laid down. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Come on, let the Holy Ghost sweep across this place right now. Let the Holy Ghost sweep across this place right now. Come on, somebody, reach out to him right now. I'm opening up these altars for somebody to say, Lord, show me the other half. Show me the other half. Show me the half that I can only experience. Let my heart feel after you. Lead me and guide me and direct my steps. Help me, I pray. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I give myself away. So, so you can use me. Give 
it your prayer. Come on and make it your prayer. Come on and make it your prayer to God right now. My life is not my own. To you I belong. 